Amen. Well, awesome, awesome. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, take a wild guess. Most of you in here have been to the Roosevelt Field Mall. Is that true? Can we all say we've, we've been to the Roosevelt Field Mall? Good. Uh, if you don't know, I'm from Maryland, so I'm not from around these parts. So uh, I'm still learning a lot. I'm exploring new places, uh, meeting new people, learning what Long Island culture is. Uh, but one of the things that I have learned about Roosevelt Field Mall is this. It's either eat or get eaten. Right? There's no in-between. It is a place of savage, crazy, just I, I don't really know how to explain it. And I guess, I guess you could kind of say that about New York in total. Right? It's either eat or get eaten, doggy dog world. Uh, but in particular, about Roosevelt Field Mall parking garages, man, it's... Wow. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me say, like, I, I really believe we're all created in the image of God, right? Uh, whether you're a Christian, whether you're an unbeliever, I believe characteristics of God can be seen in everyone. But the one thing that I feel like I constantly see in the Roosevelt Field Mall parking garage is sin, right? I, I, don't, I don't really see the image of God in that parking garage, right? It's the sin of human selfishness. It's the sin of wanting to be first. It's the sin of wanting, wanting to be on top. And maybe some of you are like, I don't understand. That's, that's just normal, right? Uh, let, me give you some, <laughs> let me give you some examples. So if someone's coming out of uh, a store and someone's trying to get a parking spot, that car will follow the person. And they already put the blinker on. And like, they'll follow that person as they're walking to the car because they assume they just got a spot. They don't want to wait. Like, they're, they're right behind the person just waiting for them to pull out. Also, if you come head to head with a car and someone's pulling out, uh, rules of courtesy, Rules of you before me thrown out the window. It's all about who's going to pull into that spot the quickest, right? Who's going to be the bigger man? Uh, and I think the only thing worse than someone trying to get a parking spot is someone that has to wait for someone that just secured a parking spot. Do you know what I mean? So if someone's pulling out and then you're behind the car and like they got the spot and you got to wait for them, you just feel so much anger. Like you just feel anger in the parking garage because not only do we have to wait, but we have to wait for someone to just get a spot, and we've already been looking for 10 minutes. It's terrible. Oh my gosh. But have you ever thought about why that is? Right? Why is it that we all have this natural desire to be first? Right? We have this natural desire to be on top. We have this natural desire to, to be at the front of the line. Uh, and I think it's just it's sin nature. It's human nature. Uh, and we're going to look at a story today that kind of talks about some guys that wanted to be on top. Right? So our story today is going to be found in Mark 10, uh, and it's going to be in verses 35 through 45. So if you want to turn there with me, you can. Again, it's Mark 10, 35 through 45. All righty. And this is what it says, starting in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I'm about I'm baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, 
you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the high officials exercise authority over them. Uh, and the high official, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's pray. Uh, God, we th thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we sing about how great you are, how powerful you are, and Lord, we just stand in all of that today. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place, God. Lord, I pray that you would help me get out of the way, Lord. It's not about a preacher. It's not about uh, jokes and, and all, all those things, Lord. It's about you and your word. So God, I pray that we can leave this place not changed because of what I said, Lord, but because of what you've done. So, Lord, we love you. Our hearts are, are open to the ways you want to speak to us today, Jesus. And I, I just pray that we don't leave here uh, the same way that we came in. Amen. 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 All right, so to give you some context as to what's happening here, uh, the, the, the book of Mark was written in a dramatic time. I don't know if you know anything about the book of Mark, but it was written uh, in the time of 60 A.D. Uh, and 70 A.D. And if you know anything about a guy named Nero, he was a Roman emperor. Okay, so during the time of Nero, there was this big fire in Rome. Uh, some historians believe that Nero caused this fire, uh, and it burned 10 out of the 14 districts in Rome. Uh, that's a lot. Like, it destroyed a lot of things. So what Nero did, he blamed it on Christians. He said they did that. He made Christians his scapegoats, and he did unfathomable things to him, them. So he would put them on, on uh, post, he would light them on fire, he persecuted the, the church. Therefore, uh, they went into hiding, they went into what we call the catacombs. So the, the story, the book of Mark was written during this time. Uh, so some things that Mark is supposed to highlight is this. Uh, Mark wants to encourage, uh, he wrote to encourage the church in Rome, and he wanted them to see Christ as a suffering servant savior. And so he arranged his material to show Christ as one who speaks, acts, and delivers in the midst of crisis. Right, that's, that's an awesome thing. And here in our story today, James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, they fail to see him as that. They, they, you don't associate suffering servant with a king. And today, uh, we're gonna learn some things that I believe that can become practical for our lives as well. Right? So the, the first point I want to make to you all today is this, that our natural desire is to be first. Right? We have this natural desire to be first. James and John, they were two of Jesus' earliest disciples. So they thought that if they were two of his earliest disciples, they deserved to be first with him when he enters his glory. Right? Makes sense. Okay? So they wanted J Jesus to be a political messiah, though. The idea of Jesus wasn't a guy that's going to die and hang on a cross. They thought Jesus was going to overtake the Romans. They thought they were going to have a seat at the table. They were going to be like his left, his right, prince and a king and two princes. That was the idea of Jesus. They wanted payback. They wanted to be the guys on top for a change. They were oppressed. They, the, the church hated them, right? They, they wanted to be on top. And maybe some of you are like, what's wrong with that? Like, the little guys deserve to be on top. Maybe you yourself feel like you're the little guy, and you just want to be the boss. You just want to be at the top. You just want to have power, and you want to use that power and exercise it over people. This is what's wrong with that. James and John, they don't know what they're asking for. 
perfect, okay? The problem is that when Jesus talked about his glory, when Jesus talked about his kingdom, it wasn't one that was obtained through working hard, fighting your way to the top, right? It wasn't one that came through oppressing other people. No, Jesus entered his glory through resurrection, through work, uh, uh, he entered his glory through resurrection, through beating, through rejection, and ultimately dying on a cross, right? Do you, you want to follow that glory? Uh, this is what Isaiah 53, 7 through 9 says about Jesus being entered into his glory. This is found in the message version. It says this, he was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Jesus miscarried, was miscarried and he was let off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare. Beaten, bloody for the sins of the people, they buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a, with a rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. So the, again, Jesus entered his glory through suffering, through beating, through rejection, and death on a cross. And, and that, that's the problem. The, the disciples didn't associate that. They, they weren't pitting two and two together. Right? They didn't have this, this same understanding of what greatness was compared to Jesus. Right? They thought greatness was strong, Roman power, people doing whatever you want, being on top, oppressing others. They wanted, to, they wanted payback. They wanted to be on top. Uh, but that's not, that's not who Jesus was. The idea of a king wasn't someone who would die naked on a cross. It wasn't someone that was going to look weak. Right? It, it wasn't someone that was going to lose the battle. But, that, man, that's ultimate strength. Because only Jesus, the Son of Man, could bear the sins of this world on his shoulders. No other man could do that, right? But, but the, the, the way of the church is, it's, it's countercultural, right? It's, it's take, it takes the world's values and places them upside down. So the things that we value, the things that we say are successful, God says, no, 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 right? Because God, right, God himself manifests in the person of Jesus Christ. He had every position to tell people to do what he wanted, but no, he came and he served, and he humbled himself, and he went silently to a cross, right? And he bore our sin. That's strength. That's true strength, right? But this is what makes the request even a little a, a step further. This is what makes the request a little more bold. Uh, throughout the whole gospel of Mark, and really all the gospels, Jesus is constantly trying to explain to his disciples who he is and what he came here to do. Uh, and in the book of Mark specifically, Jesus predicts his death three times. So constantly, he's always like, I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'm going to die and be resurrected. Uh, and the third time Jesus predicts his death is found right here in Mark chapter 10. Okay, so the precursor to, to them asking to sit at his left and right comes right after he predicts his death a third time. Let's look at it today. It's found in Mark chapter 10, right in verse 33. And this is what it says. It says this, we are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and, he will hand him, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him, and three days later he will rise. But even after Jesus' explanation of his death and his resurrection, they still don't get it. They just want to have power. Right? They, they're like, we got that, Jesus, but can we still be at your left or right? Can, can we still enter your glory moment? Right? Can we still uh, kick the Romans in the butt? Right? 
that, that's the, the thinking is so limited. And this is the problem I think a lot of us, me included, encounter. We read scripture and we start to tell ourselves, I'm not that bad. I'm not like that. Like James and John, you're pretty foolish, but if that was me, I would have known better. Right? We, we look at Paul and say, man, uh, Paul, you killed Christians. I, I just got a traffic ticket. Like, I, I'm not that bad. Right? We, we compare to these characters and scriptures and we see the flaws and think somehow we rise above. But let me tell you something. If these disciples spent three years with Jesus Christ, the greatest man to ever walk this earth, but they still didn't get it, what is going to make us think we can do any better? Right? They spent three years with Jesus Christ, physical presence, but they still didn't get it because they're humans. We're humans. We're not better than any of them. Right? We fail to understand what being truly great is, and I believe it's because this, the human condition, we're always looking for ways of approval. We're always looking for ways in. We're always looking for ways to get ahead. What do you mean by that, Jordan? I mean this. We think that we have to achieve something to feel good about ourselves. And you may not recognize it, I may not recognize it consciously, but, but why is it that, man, why is it we want to fight so hard for that promotion? Why is it so hard we want to be liked? Why is it so hard we want to get to the next level? Whatever that next level is in your context, we assume that's what's going to, that's what's going to make me happy. If I, could just, if I could only get to that point, that's what would make me happy. And that's a wrong idea. So even for believers, like we know in our minds that we need God, but our hearts, we pursue all of these other things. We pursue what's going to make us real happy. If my kids would just stop behaving. Oh man, if I could... If I could just get this A on this test, if, if my boss would just give me that, like we assume whatever it is that we're trying to get to, that's, that's, that's going to get us in, but it won't. Because you're going to get to that point, then you're going to want something else. You're going to get to that point, you're going to want something else. It's this never-ending circle. Uh, so, so why is this natural? Why do we have this natural desire to be first? It's because the sin makes us selfish, right? And this isn't something that we have to be taught, especially here in America, right? We praise people who work hard, get to the top, do it by themselves, the American dream, right? Uh, uh, focus on themselves because, again, we believe that getting to the top gets us what we need. We believe that. I believe that a lot of times. You know, how many of you, again, believe that promotion will get you what you want? That relationship will get you what you want. Being in a better job will get you what you want. Being in charge, being noticed, being seen, being respected. We assume getting to that next stop spot is all we need to be happy. But all our hearts truly need is right in front of us. It was right in front of the disciples, and they missed it, but it's Jesus. Now, he's the only thing that we truly need that's going to bring 100% fulfillment. He's never going to run dry. He's never going to disappoint. And he gives you life, right? All, your, all these other idols, all these other things we worship will eventually fail us. But Jesus is the one thing, man, he'll never fail us. All right? And, and please hear me. Um, I'm not advocating that we shouldn't work hard, okay? I, I don't want to come across as if we shouldn't do our best in life. There's nothing wrong with working hard. I think that's a godly character to work hard. If you're in a position of power in your job, awesome. Work hard. Do good at what you do. But this is my question. What is the reason we want to get to the top? What is our version of success? And what is, what is it that we value in this life? And what's the motivation behind it? You know, start asking yourself those questions. Like, if you're going to work hard, awesome. But are you doing it to try to prove you're, that you're somebody to someone? Are you doing it to try to uh, uh, get this achievement? Are you doing it to be someone important? 
Are you doing it just because, man, God has called you to that, and you want to work hard at that, and you want to put your best foot forward and glorify him through his talents and gifts that he's given you? You see the difference, right? There's a difference there, okay? So there was a guy. His name was John D. Rockefeller. Have any of you heard of him, Rockefeller? Okay, well, a little story time. He was a, uh, an American oil industry business magnate. He was an industrialist. He was a philanthropist. Uh, he's widely considered to be the wealthiest American of all time, okay, and the richest person in modern history. He was born into a large family in upstate New York, uh, and he was, he was really raised by his con man father and his religious mother, and they moved a lot of times before finally settling in uh, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio. So Rockefeller, he became an assistant bookkeeper at the age of 16. That's right, get them while they're young. Uh, and he went into a business partnership with a guy named Maurice uh, and his brothers at 20. After buying them out, he and his brother, William, founded Rockefeller and Andrews with Samuel Andrews. But get this, instead of drilling for oil, he concentrated on oil refining. And that was the gold, right? That was the gold. Um, in 1867, Henry Flanger entered the partnership, and the Rockefeller, Andrews, and Flanger company grew by taking over local refineries. Uh, so Rockefeller, he formally founded his most famous company called the Standard Oil Company in 1870, and he ran it until 1897. So as kerosene and gasoline grew in importance, Rockefeller, his wealth soared, and he became the richest person in the country, controlling, get this, 90% of the oil in the United States at his peak. 90% of the oil was controlled by him. And as oil was used as uh, a light source and as, as it was used for things like the automobile, uh, man, he gained enormous attention. Right, so Standard Oil was the first great business trust in the United States. He revolutionized the petroleum industry along with other key people. Um, and this, this is the important part. If you get nothing else, try to pay attention right here. Rockefeller became the country's first billionaire with a fortune net worth of nearly 2% of the national economy. One man owned nearly 2% of the national, that is a lot of money. At his peak, he was estimated to uh, uh, have a, a earning a worth of $400 billion in today's dollar. Not back then, today's dollar, he would have had $400 billion. And John D. Rockefeller, he was presented with this question. This is, this is it. How much money is enough? That's, that's what someone asked him at the height of his incredible personal wealth in the oil industry. And this is, this is what he responded. One more dollar. One more dollar. Right? One more dollar. This story is shocking. And I doubt any of you are billionaires. If you are, please let me know. Um, <laughs> please let me know. Your boy needs some help. Uh, but the concept is true for all of us, that we have this desire to be first in whatever it is, whether you're a billionaire, right, whether you're uh, a manager at a grocery store, whether you're, wh whatever the case may be, we have this desire to get to the top. But the sad reality is that with everything we could ever dream of, with everything we could ever imagine, with, with everything, with the titles, with the position, with the seniority, with the, you know, the lavish, et cetera, et cetera, if that's the only thing we chase after, we're going to get to the end of our lives, and we're going to be just like Rockefeller saying, just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. And that's a sad truth, because we have this natural desire to be first. And I think it's, I think it's because of this. I kind of already touched it, but 
we want to have worth in the eyes of other people. Like, it's natural. Like, we want to be seen as important. We want, to, we want to be valuable to society, to ourselves, and to the people around us, right? So we can feel good about ourselves and feel as if we always want to make a difference, right? In our society, we always talk about we want to make a difference, right? It, it's, just, it's, it's just life. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but the beauty of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will bring true value to your life. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't do what you're doing. You just, just quit. I got Jesus. I quit. No. But our value isn't based off of those things, right? It's, it's solely it. Man, if, you, if we don't get the foundation that I am I'm one in Christ, I am, I am a son of God, a child of God, a, a daughter of God, if we don't get that right, then everything, we, everything else we do will be trying to gain some sort of uh, uh, acceptance, some sort of approval, some sort of recognition, right? And it's, it's never going to end, okay? So again, we all have a natural desire to be first. That is the first point. Second point is this, the greatest shall be servants. So after James and John, they asked to sit at his left and right, Jesus responds to them saying, you don't know what you're asking for. Like, you you have no idea what you're asking for. Um, Because they had no idea about what the road to Jesus' glory is going to look like. They're expecting red carpet, you know, they're expecting red carpet, paparazzi, yay, people shouting, Jesus, Jesus, we love you. Uh, But Jesus is saying, like, the only red is going to be my blood, and it's going to be stained on a cross. You sure you want to follow that? Are you ready to to come into that? So so he asked them. He says, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? And they say, yeah, of course we can. Right? They they don't know what they're saying. And one commentator, uh, as I was studying this week, this is what he says. He says, the cup is a metaphor for suffering. And baptism is a metaphor for being plunged into tragedy. So Jesus, he's not going to be sprinkled with a bit of suffering. No, he's going to be submerged in it. And he asked them if they're willing to share his fate and be doused with the waters of hardship and trial. The point is clear to the reader, if not the disciples. To share his kingdom, one has to share his passion. We have to share his passion. But this is, man, I love this in the story, because not only do James and John not get it, but the other disciples completely missed the point. If you remember, it says the disciples became indignant. How dare they? How could they ask Jesus to sit at his left and right? But let me tell you, they weren't upset because uh, James and John asked to sit at Jesus' left and right. They were upset because they didn't get to ask him first, right? The disciples constantly in Scripture were arguing about who was the greatest, Right? They, they didn't care about uh, the things they should have. They were concerned about being first. So when, when they became indignant, man, it was a selfish indignancy. Right? They were like, oh, they got to ask first? I want to be at Jesus' left and right. right? Peter's probably like, I'm Peter. I'm going to be this rock. He's, he's going to build his church on me. Right? They had this selfish ambition. So Jesus, he stops all that. And uh, he goes into one of the most powerful teaching moments in all of Scripture. And this is what it says. Let's read it again. Mark 10, starting in verse 42 through 45. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many powerful, right? So Jesus right here, he, he's labeling the, the, um, the desire to be on top as pagan, 
right? He's saying pagans are people that want seats of power. Pagans are people that want to lord the position over other people. The disciples have taken pagan rulers as their models, whereas we need to take Jesus as our model because the way of Jesus is self-giving sacrifice, right? Uh, and they're, they're not to be on the receiving end of service, but on the giving end. So again, uh, in your context, wherever you are, a lot of times, you know, we have this desire to be on top. We have this desire to be, if only I was the boss, if only I was up top. Man, if you are in a position where you have people under you, awesome. Uh, but I think what the text here is saying is that, what are we doing with that? Are, are we pagans? Are we pagan rulers? Like, do we want to use our position to just uh, defeat the people below us, to demean them, to make them just do whatever we want? Are we using our position to serve? Right? So I think Jesus is saying, what are you doing with your position? It doesn't matter if you're a CEO or if you're, I don't know, like working at the gas station. Whatever position you have, what are you doing with that? Okay? Because it doesn't matter, the, the CEO is not any better than the guy working at the gas station if he's lording his position over other people. Okay? Because as kids, I know me, when I was growing up, we dream about, man, what's, what would it be like if I could rule the world? What would it be like if I was sitting in the Oval Office? What would it be like for people to call me sir and ma'am, uh, to have people getting our coffee and uh, getting, you know, getting us to a place where we deserve? But, but this is the thing about Jesus. He doesn't seem to fit our American model of success. Okay, Jesus doesn't fit our American ideal of what a successful person looks like, right? He doesn't have interns getting him coffee, rubbing his feet, telling him how awesome he is. That's not who Jesus is. And he's expressing in the text that being great doesn't come from being seen. It doesn't mean being at the top. It doesn't mean being in front of the line. It doesn't mean any of those things. Being great means serving. Being great means serving because true strength comes from getting low, not from being above. All right? Because great isn't the one necessarily sitting at the table. Jesus is saying great is the waitstaff, right? It's the people that clean this church every week. It's the one who gives to missions without ever being seen. Great are the people who follow the call of God on their life wherever he says to go. Whatever he says to do and whenever he says to do it, that is great in Jesus' mind, right? Great are those who think about themselves less than they do other people. Great are those who serve, right? But why do we fail even when we start to serve, right? Because, listen, there's a lot of awesome things happening in this world. We can all agree, Christian or non-Christian, there's a lot of humanitarian work happening in other countries, in our urban communities, in our, in our society. People, uh, they're motivated to serve. They're motivated to volunteer. And it's like, good for them, right? But, but why, do, why do they serve, right? Why, why do you think the, the non-Christian group is going to Africa to Wells. What, if you ask them, why do you think, what do you think they're going to say? Because we want to be better people, right? Because we want to feel good about ourselves. Because we, we want to be the type of people that dig wells in Africa, right? So you're not really digging a well or helping that child because that's, man, that's, God wants to redeem that. No, you're doing it because you're, you're trying to push your own agenda. So do I recycle and, you know, pick up trash just because I'm supposed to do that? No, I'm doing it because I want to be known as someone that recycles and picks up trash. Do I help elderly woman across the street because that's the right thing to do? Or do I do it because I want to be seen as someone that helps elderly women across the street? Do you see what I'm saying? We serve, but really to serve ourselves. So we fail even when we start to serve, okay? So on, on one hand, we have this desire to be first. 
So we start to serve ourselves, we wanna get in front of the line, we wanna protect our best interests, et cetera. But then on the other hand, we start to serve, but we, we don't serve just because it's a good thing, we do it because we're trying to get ahead. We're still trying to get that approval, it just looks different. Right? It, it's a good approval, but you're still looking for approval, okay? It's not a healthy thing. So uh, I guess that all kind of sounds sad, and you're probably like, wow, I guess I can't do anything right, okay? I, listen, that's, that's, a, that's always the start, understanding what we can't do. Uh, so what do we need? What do we do? And I'll tell you what you need, what I need, what the disciples needed all along. It's, this, it's a changed heart, okay? It's a changed heart. Verse 45 is really, Mark chapter 10, verse 45 is, is the highlight of this book. Uh, and this is what it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. When we hear that word ransom, we often think about this hostage situation, right? You think ransom, you think of, give me the money, et cetera, et cetera. That's not what the word in this meaning here. The word ransom here means to buy the freedom of a slave. Okay, someone who is enslaved and set free. Jesus is our ransom. He paid the price in our place so that we could be set free. You see, we need so much more than a promotion. We need so much more than to get ahead. We need so much more than a new spouse, a new house. We need so much more than just getting to that next spot, because you know why? Once we get there, we're not satisfied there. We want to be somewhere else. We want to be somewhere else. We need to be saved from our selfishness. We need to be saved from our, our selfish agendas. We need to be saved from wrong motives. We need a new heart. And the only person that can offer that is Jesus. Okay? That's the only person. Right? You see, the gospel doesn't come to make uh, bad people good. It comes to make dead people alive. Right? It comes to give us true meaning. The gospel came to reconcile our motives back to God the Father. Right? When, when, so we no longer have to try to serve to achieve approval. We have the Father's approval through the obedience of Jesus on the cross. Right? We, and we can't earn that. That's grace. That is grace. But everything in this world is telling you, you have to earn your spot. You have to earn your approval. You have to earn respect. You have to earn all of these things. We have this earning culture in our mindset, but the gospel says you've got to receive. The first step of the gospel is saying, I have to receive. I can't earn anything, I just have to receive, but that's good news, right? It's amazing news. And this is what, the gospel allows us to be joyful at the end of any line. Because when we realize we're not saved by our own work, and that we're not approved because of the things we've done, and we understand it's God's grace that saves us, redeems us, and makes us new, we realize we're not better than anyone else. We don't have to try to prove ourselves to get ahead. And well, if you work hard, you get ahead, awesome. But it's like, I'm, I'm not getting ahead because I'm trying to prove something, right? So whether I'm at the front of the line, whether I'm at the back of the line, I'm one in Jesus, and they can't take that away from me. Awesome. So when we turn our hearts to worship and to thankfulness, we can have joy at the end of the line, right? We can understand that we don't have to try to get in because we have everything we need in Christ. Therefore, we're, mo we're motivated to serve regardless of the reward, 
So we move from I have to serve to I get to serve. You see, the gospel changes our hearts. When, you, when we realize, man, Christ has died for me, he saves me, he redeems me, and the gospel isn't just some ticket to heaven, it changes my reality right now. I can experience the power of God in my life today, right? When we understand how much we have in Christ, why wouldn't you want to share that with other people? Why wouldn't your natural desire to be to serve people like Christ has served you and me, right? The gospel is the only thing that gives us a true motivation to go out and serve. Because it, 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 you're already secure. You already have so much. So you're not serving to get something. You, you're serving because you received so much. It's this natural outflow, okay? And again, I want to point out, I'm not promoting to not work hard. Just throw your hands up in the air, go home. Because again, I think we reflect Christ uh, by working hard, by providing for our families, pursuing the gifts and talents that God has given you. Uh, but, but hear me, what I'm saying is this, your identity doesn't come from your job, okay? So if you don't get that promotion, it's okay, because your identity isn't based off of your achievement. If you don't get a perfect 4.0, it's okay, because your identity isn't based off of your approval. Your identity isn't placed off of how well your children behave. Your identity isn't placed off of well people receive you, or people like you, or people talk kind about you. Your identity isn't placed in if you have a lot of friends or a little amount of friends. Your identity isn't placed in anything that anyone can offer you. Your identity is placed in who God says you are, and he says you're more than enough. Amen. He says you're more than enough, okay? You don't have to try to achieve something that's already been given. You don't have to try to achieve it. Just receive it, okay? So you, you don't serve to work hard. Again, you serve because you receive something, and that's the grace of God displayed through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to call Daniel back up to, to play some on the keys, and we're going we're gonna to kind of start wrapping this up by going into some practical things. Uh, what does serving look like? What does serving look like? I think serving looks like six things, and then I have some other things about what serving could look like for our church. I think the first is this. I think serving looks like seeing other people in the image of God. Maybe some of you like, I understand everyone's created in God's image. This is what I mean. Maybe we wouldn't always be trying to have the last word. Maybe we wouldn't always be, be so bitter toward those who do us wrong. Maybe we wouldn't be so upset about people that offend us if we saw them not as the devil, but we saw them as, man, this is God's creation. Whether Christian, whether they're a non-Christian, if we saw people with value, then we'd want to leave a good taste in their mouth. Right? As the church, we want to be people that speak life and build up, even when people are against us. Right? If we saw people, with, let me tell you, when Jesus was on that cross and those people were spitting on him, mocking him, you know what he saw them with? He saw them with value. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't say, oh, God, how, why am I up here? No, he saw them with value. And I think value changes the way we respond to people. It makes us not reactive, but responsive. We say, it's okay because I see you with value. I don't need to have the last word. I don't need to win this argument. It's okay, because I see you with value. Number two, I think it would look like this, willing to put aside our political agendas. And hear me before you get defensive. I'm not saying this. I'm not saying to stop fighting for what you believe in. I'm not advocating for what's wrong, what's right, what laws you should vote for. But I truly believe this. God wants his church to be united. Right? God wants his church to be united. And we can't make peace over politics. 
We have to stop trying to make peace over politics. We have to stop trying to get everyone to believe the same thing because it's not going to work. The only thing that's going to bring a whole bunch of people from different backgrounds, from different communities together is Jesus Christ. Okay? If you ask everyone in this room, guarantee they're going to have a different political viewpoint than you. Somewhere. Someone's going to disagree with you. But you know what unites you? Not whether you're Democrat or Republican. What unites you is Jesus Christ. That he saved a sinner like me, and I can come and worship him for it. And therefore, I see you with value. Okay? So often, we're more concerned about winning the argument rather than being united in Christ. For the sake of being right, think about it. How many people do you think we've mistreated? How many people do you think that we have forgotten about, hurt, led astray, just because we right? How many people do you think we hurt, right? We value our country, we value our politics, we value our, our policies more so than we value Jesus Christ himself, okay? And listen, again, I'm not saying politics don't matter, but this is what I'm saying. Jesus values the Republican. He values the Democrat. Jesus values the people on the other side of your disagreement. So why don't we? Why don't we? Okay? Number three, it would look like this. Being willing to be inconvenienced. Okay? Number four, filling needs over filling personal preference. Now listen, when it comes to serving, we're all wired different. We're going to work best in, in different contexts. But so often, I think, in life, when there's an opportunity, a need arises, we tell ourselves, eh, that's not me. Eh, someone, someone more qualified will do that. But if we're all saying that, no one's going to step up and do it. Right? I think a servant's heart at least tries to do what it needs to do before they say, I'm not the man for the job. Right? So you fill the need before you fill your personal preference. Because what if your personal preference doesn't need to be met right now? But there's a need that maybe is going to kind of stretch you. It's going to take you a little outside your comfort zone. Man, fill a need before you fill your personal preference because it's not about you. Number five, it looks like not always trying to compete. Okay, and this, this really talks in terms of teams. Man, we're one church, we're one body, and we want to reach this one community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the only way to do that is if we're not competing with each other. That means not trying to be the guy in front all the time. Maybe that means you just serve without being recognized for it, okay? So maybe you end up painting the church one day. You don't need to say, hey, I painted the church last week. Hey, you know what I did? I, I practiced six hours for keys this week. No, you just serve, and you just do it, and you just play your position because your position has value whether or not people recognize you for it, okay? Because your approval isn't in the response. It's in God the Father, all right? Number six. Stepping up before being asked, okay? Number six, I would love to see, for example, like a hospitality team in this church. I know we need children's workers. We're in need of youth workers. We're, we're in need of, of volunteers in this church, and this is us. This is us, but we need people to step up. So I, I, I sometimes, I've been here for, not for too long, but I've thought about, man, what would a church look like if everyone in it 100% all hands on deck, everyone was serving, everyone was volunteering, everyone was giving some part of themselves to the betterment of the kingdom of God. And I think it would look like five things. One, I think every need would be met. I think every need would be met if every single person in these seats were serving and volunteering. Man, we'd be waiting for needs, right? Every, everyone would be so involved where we'd be like, we, we don't have any needs. Everything is being met by our people. Can you imagine that though? If every one of you, where you're at, was serving in some capacity, volunteering, 
filling needs that aren't already there. We'd be waiting for needs. Number two, every single person would be involved in some sort of volunteer work, okay? Number three, this is a big one, no one would be overstretched or overworked. A lot of times in our churches, uh, there's the old saying, what, 20% of the people doing 80% of the work? That's not healthy, right? So you have uh, uh, two guys or a couple of people or whatever doing 10 different things, giving 10% of themselves toward all things. How better would it be if every single one of you could give you 100% to one thing, right? People wouldn't be burnt out. People would come and feel joy in being able to serve. People would come and feel joy in being able to volunteer because it wouldn't be another to-do list. It would be, man, I get to do this and do it with energy and passion. It wouldn't be overstretched or overworked. Number four, I think we would be ready for church, uh, as a church for growth. And this is what I mean. In order for us to be able to effectively meet the needs out there, we got to be all in in here. right? If we're not in the mindset that I play a role, if we're in the mindset of consumers rather than givers, if we're just all coming to listen and go home, how are we gonna take care of this community? Right? It takes so much more than me, than Pastor Rob, than volunteer. It takes a church, it takes a family of God, right? And growth isn't growth for growth's sake, but there's a community that doesn't know Jesus, right? And we need to be in this thing together if we wanna reach this community for an effective cause. And lastly, the culture, I think, of any church would change, but so different if everyone was serving that, man, people would walk in and they'd know Christ based off of the way people serve. From the moment they walked in to the moment they left, they'd feel so, something so radically different, like something's different about that church. I didn't, I didn't just come and leave. No, they served, me like, they served me like Jesus, even if they didn't understand who Jesus was. But the culture of this church, I think, would instantly draw people to Christ himself if everyone was hands-on in serving. All right? Without Jesus in our lives, we won't be effective servants because we'll be seeking selfish gain and we'll be looking for ways to make us feel better. But when we embrace the gospel, God removes that old heart and he gives us a new one, a heart that wants to serve like Jesus, a heart that wants to see Belmore know Christ. A heart that's focused on kingdom greatness, get this, rather than worldly success. Kingdom greatness rather than worldly success. Jesus, he entered his moment of glory on a cross next to two thieves. I think we enter our moment of glory when we get down and when we serve. When we serve. That's, that's our glory moment. It's not lights, it's not big, it may not mean your name written on billboards, but when we get down and we serve, man, that's our moment of glory. That's what it's all about. All right? I want to pray for us. Uh, Lord, thank you so much that you first served us. God, that you gave your life for us, Jesus. Lord, that we don't have to try to gain something that's already been given. But, Father, we can respond and we can move out of a position of security. Lord, we are bought with a price. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are forgiven, redeemed, sanctified, and made new. So, Jesus, I pray that you would change the desires of our heart. Seeking just worldly success. Help us to try, stop trying to seek something that's going to fulfill us, Jesus. And help us to just realize we have you. We already have you, Jesus. 
So Lord, I pray that you would light a fire in this church. Lord, help us to be sent ones. Help us to go and care for our community. Lord, help us to bring the gospel to places where no one else will. God, we need you to lead our church. We need you to lead our people. And Lord, we trust that you're going to do it because you're a good shepherd. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. And we pray all of this in the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.